Darnell Williams at the tailback. They'll hand it off to Williams up the middle. 25. Cuts it inside. 30. 35. 40. There goes Cadillac. To the 50. To the 40. To the 30. To the 20. To the 15. 10. Go crazy, Cadillac. Go crazy. Touchdown. Now they can play a little safer. But they're not going to. Nix is back. Throws it downfield. Caught. Touchdown, Williams. A 20-yard attempt. Josh Harris, the snapper. He'll call to the place. He'll hold it. Byron waits for the snap to the place. There it is. The kick is up. The kick is good. Auburn wins. 22-19. What's up, everybody? Another episode of the Auburn Today podcast. As always, my name is Noble. I'm joined here with my co-host Wheeler. Today we have a fun couple podcasts ahead of us breaking down Auburn's, you know, hot streak in football. Uh, been a couple weeks just really looking good, coming off a 48-10 to 10 win over the Arkansas Razorbacks. Auburn basketball is back, playing some good basketball. Got a big game tonight. Just Really a, a fun time with Auburn sports right now. Auburn obviously is just really clicking on all cylinders with football. Auburn's win against Arkansas was definitely the best game of the season. I don't think anyone would really disagree with that. Going in on the road, playing a team that was coming off of a big win against an SEC opponent on the road, you know, that was a game that really surprised both of us, especially. We talked on the podcast a lot about how we expected Florida to win that game. Arkansas came out, won that, and then came back and just didn't really do anything. I mean, they couldn't get anything going against Auburn. Peyton Thorne had one of his more solid games, kind of what we expected from Peyton Thorne coming into the season, I feel like. He was 12 for 20, 163 passing yards, three touchdowns and one interception, and also added 88 yards and one touchdown on the ground, especially that emphatic, you know, the the truck stick with the, the picture of him staring the guy down. Jarquez Hunter had another big game with 109 yards. Rivaldo Fairweather put up two touchdowns himself. Just a really solid game overall, especially from the offensive side. The defense, you know, really took care of business like they have. But Wheeler, before we get into the the kind of the finer points of the game, just give us your thoughts on what you thought about the game, you know, the the surprise that happened when Auburn jumped out to the quick lead and just really where your mind went as the game progressed. Now, you might remember me saying, that the best thing that could happen is Arkansas beating Florida down in the swamp. You know, we said that going in. We said if Arkansas loses down in the swamp, they may fire Pittman and may have that interim coach energy. And that didn't happen. You know, I I didn't think that Auburn was going to – I thought it would be a close game. I didn't think that Auburn was going to blow him out like this. And it's like you said, I mean, honestly, I feel like this was the first game where everyone just played to the level that you expected them to play to. And I don't think that most teams, if you played at that level, would have resulted in such a blowout. But you saw earlier in the year, Arkansas was not very good at scoring. And having Rocket Sanders a little bit banged up, having KJ Jefferson being a little bit banged up, between the two of those, I mean, that was about what you expected to see if Auburn was playing the way that you knew they could. Um, And it's like, you know, Peyton Thorne finally having that game that was his average at Michigan State, that coming in, he's going to throw that interception. It's going to be just an awful interception. That's the thing that's been surprising to me is, and we talked about this earlier today, 
usually when you have a guy that throws one interception per game, like doesn't have a lot of games where he throws none, doesn't have a lot of games where he throws two, that it's going to most likely be, you know, an unlucky interception or a gunslinger mentality where he thinks he can fit it into a window and, you know, just overthrows or just underthrows. Peyton Thorne's interceptions the past two weeks have been just really, really bad. And typically you would see a quarterback that throws an interception that bad throw a lot of interceptions in a game. And so it's just kind of a unique situation where you see him throw these awful interceptions, but he only throws one a game. He only has that one drive a game where he steers down the receiver and DB makes a break on the ball. And that's what it's been every time. You know, it's been that he takes too long on his drop back. He doesn't have his feet set and he's staring down the receiver and the DB's just sitting back there watching. And for the most part, he's typically pretty good at getting the ball out or getting his feet set. And I think that's where it comes from. Really, I do. I think that he does tend to look at one receiver, which is fine if you're running the timing of the play right. It's when things get slowed down because it's typically plays where you can tell he held onto the ball longer than the play was designed to. I mean, going back to the Vanderbilt game, if you watch the tape, uh, Rivaldo was open early, early in the route, and he just held onto the ball for so long that it gave the DB time to break on it and go make a play. Same with the Arkansas play. He held on just a little bit too long, and that's the difference. That's the SEC speed. You have elite athletes playing college football, and if you hold on to the ball too long, there's a reason why the timing is the timing. So overall, great game. Jarquez has looked really, really good the past couple weeks. That's exactly what we expected he would look like uh, coming into the season. And it just shows practice is important, and summer workouts are important. Even if you have your own – coach outside of it there's something to be said for practicing with the team and I think you're seeing that right now you think you're seeing the Jarquez just needed to get adjusted honestly get adjusted to a new O-line that's been the biggest change I feel like I feel like he's running just as hard as he was early in the season but he's learning how this offensive line blocks and he's so much more patient I mean you can see you know Hugh talked about it after the Vandy game and I thought you could tell even more after the Arkansas game it's almost like the Vandy game gave the coaches fuel to show him on tape. Like, look, you were more patient here and you were busting these huge runs. Like, let them go, let them go make the blocks. And I think a week like this against New Mexico State, where you know that it's going to be pretty consistent that the O-line is going to be able to open up holes if you just sit back and you let them do it, will be a week where I think Jarquez could break off several big runs early in the game, if that's the game plan. Um, I think at this point in the season – the passing game is what it is. I don't foresee them trying to sling the ball around similar to how it was in the Sanford game where you're showing something. I think the Jarquez is going to have a huge first half, um, and you'll see the backups coming in in the second half for this week. But looking back at Arkansas, everything went great. Jalen McLeod was more than what we expected him to be. I mean, this game was just ridiculous. I, I don't think that you could say that anybody with the stat line he had this week met expectations that that would be exceeding expectations for anyone and you know he's getting healthier the the rest of the d-line is playing well and it was it was a fun game i was not expecting in year one under hugh freeze to take an sec team to the woodshed like that but still it was a great time um and glad that they were able to get the win yeah for sure and i think you look at this game and this is this is 
the thing that really encourages you. You know, we, we talk about how there, there are no moral victories and, 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 and we talked incessantly after the Georgia game, I feel like about how we're not excited about keeping it close with a team that you lose to. I think what makes me excited is playing a team that you're supposed to maybe beat by a short, by a small amount. Maybe, you know, it's a, it's a tight game. I know the line moved. I think it was from uh, Arkansas plus two to Auburn minus two. I think that was how the line moved, but it was, it was a four point swing. And I mean, obviously Auburn comes out wins by 38 and obviously it, it felt like more than 38. It really did. I mean, it was like, it was not a close game at all. And that's what feels good is Auburn is back to the point where they can go to an SEC road environment and blow the team out. You look back against, you know, especially with Gus Malzahn's career against Arkansas, you saw a blowout win in 2021, blowout win in 2019, blowout win in 2017, uh, quadruple overtime loss in 15, and then a blowout win in 13. I mean, Gus Malzahn took care of business against teams that he should have, take care, should have taken care of business with, and that's what you saw on Saturday. I think Arkansas's I think you can make the comparison that talent-wise, Arkansas has comparable talent to Auburn, but that's obviously not how the game went, and that's what feels good to me. And almost the moral victory you get inside the the true victory is that you're watching Auburn just beat teams again. I mean, Auburn in this three-game winning streak, three games straight against SEC opponents where you've won by double digits. That feels good. It, it makes you feel good about Auburn football again. And it's it's a nice change of pace from the the three or the four game skid that we had to start conference play. Moving into this matchup against New Mexico State, looking for seven wins, just clinch bowl eligibility. And I feel like no one's really looking at this New Mexico State game. And I think that everyone's been shifting their attention to the Iron Bowl. But you can see the momentum building and you just feel like, you know, you feel like this New Mexico State game is going to be Auburn takes care of business and it sets the stage for for a big time Iron Bowl. But either give us just give me. I want to talk about Arkansas a little bit more with how the team looked. Just give us your. You know, you mentioned Jalen McLeod. It's kind of difficult to not have him. It's really the MVP of the game in my eyes with his just incredible performance. I think it was three sacks, four tackles for loss, a forced fumble. Great performance. Uh, he was obviously honored as SEC Defensive Player of the Week. Keontae Scott was honored as Special Teams Player of the Week for the first punt return touchdown for Auburn since 2014 and the first one in a conference game since 2013. But besides those two guys, can you just give us your your thoughts on a defensive guy that really showed up and showed out? I feel like this was an underrated defensive performance because of how well the offense played. People aren't really talking about the defense as much, but K.J. Jefferson was completely shut down. I mean, 116 passing yards. He had 50 rushing yards. I mean, honestly, he just was not really a factor. Raheem Sanders wasn't a factor at all. Eight carries for zero yards. I mean, the the defense just really played well. So I just want to hear your biggest, you know, the some of the the underrated performances that you think you saw from from Auburn's defenders this uh, this game. I thought that the entire defensive line was finally able to execute the game plan that you see a lot of times that Auburn runs against these running quarterbacks of not pushing too hard on the passer because you don't want to break your gap assignment and have them break off a huge chunk. I thought that this was the best version I've ever seen of the game plan where they were able to say gap sound, but they were also able to get a push and get some pressure on the quarterback. Like you, you didn't just see them sitting back waiting for something to happen. The D line had a great game. They were able to get pressure. And when you have a running back 
that runs eight rushes for zero yards, who's, you know, a legitimate running back, obviously credit to the whole defense, but that's the D line. Like you don't get zero yards by just your linebackers having a good game because they, by the time the linebacker gets there, most of the time they will have a couple yards. That's the D line setting the line of scrimmage and honestly setting the line of scrimmage a couple of yards back from where it originally began. So I, Ken, Keldrick Falk, I thought uh, Marcus Harris, you know, those two guys are two guys that stand out in my mind. And then we were talking earlier about kind of the D, D tackle rotation outside of Marcus Harris, just, and I know that they are all different players, but it seems like they're just the same player. You've just got a bunch of big bodies that you're rotating through that are just eating blocks. And I thought that those D tackles did a great job this weekend of not letting any gaps get opened up and allowing your guys on the edge to be playmakers a little bit more. You know, Marcus Harris is your playmaker on the edge, but really the way that the D line has developed, your playmakers are coming off the edge with McLeod and Keldrick, and you're just having war daddies in the middle that are just saying, you're not going to move us, and they'll eat up a double team. Yeah, and even then, like Marcus Harris is still finding his way in the backfield. You know, had one, yeah. you know, had a had a at least one sack. He was, you know, kind of in the in the committee and and one or two more back there. And I feel like I talk about it every week. I mean, Marcus Harris is just a really surprising guy. I mean, he came out this year and has just been playing some really good football. And is, in my opinion, the best defensive lineman. I think he has been the best D lineman on the team. I don't really count Jalen McLeod as a defensive lineman. I feel like he's kind of that you know, just a, that edge rusher hybrid kind of kind of player. But I find Marcus Harris has just been an exceptional player. And I want to give I want to give a little bit of props to DJ James. I feel like everyone talks about how good the secondary is. I thought DJ James that a lot of the time they don't really throw it to him. They were throwing it to him against Arkansas and he wasn't letting anything and happen. Vanderbilt. I was yeah. about to say the same thing, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean I, I think that you know, obviously, it's a great thing if you don't ever hear a cornerback's name. But they were – it seemed like they were kind of like, all right, no one ever throws to this guy. Let's see let, – let's throw it at him. Let's see what happens. He had – I think he had three or four pass deflections. I mean, he played – he played really well. And I think that that is someone who doesn't get a lot of love because he's – you know, he's a corner that just – they don't really throw it to him. I think everyone kind of encompasses the secondary as one unit as being, oh, yeah, the secondary is really good. Let's talk about everything else. But it's like Jalen Simpson is obviously having a great season. DJ James, Keontae Scott, Nehemiah Pritchett have really just been locking up the past couple of games. And you can definitely tell, and they're going to have their work cut out for them against Alabama. But, I mean, they've they've showed up and showed out. Really, ever since that LSU game when the defense just got run through, they've really tightened up and been playing some really good football in the past few weeks. Yeah, and I think that it goes not even as a knock on DJ, but the thing that you look at is Pritchett, you knew going into the season, was probably going to be your best corner. Uh, and then you you thought that Simp was going to be a quality guy, and then Simp starts to lead the SEC in interceptions. And so at some point, there's got to be somebody that they throw at. Like, you can't just say, oh, they're all locked down. You can't throw the ball. And I think DJ had, right or wrongfully so, he had just not – he had been the least proven of them you know he had a good reputation for when the ball was thrown towards him but they just chose him out of the three I also think that there was a little bit of a reputation that DJ may not want to go get his nose bloodied in the run game and that's changed in the past couple of weeks he has really stepped up in the run game too and I think that that is an underrated aspect of the game especially looking forward to an Alabama game 
where you're going to have to see some elite tackles out on the edge. Um, and that goes back, you know, Alabama game as well, talking about that gap, staying sound in the gaps, because Milrow is, I mean, much faster than K.J. Jefferson. Um, and you're going to have to be conscious of where he is on the field at all times. Um, but, yeah, I agree. I think that D.J. James, even after being targeted, has been locked down and really doesn't leave a lot of options for opposing offenses to go to unless you uh, – you know, earlier in the year, Kalen Lee was playing really well. He's been exposed a little bit to be a freshman. He's given up a couple of big plays, and same with Colton Hood. But that's something that you just expect out of freshmen. Like, they're not going to be as seasoned as the seniors. Um, and you can't have the same guys playing DB the entire game. Like, that is a lot, a lot of running. And so that's something, I think, to keep your eye out on for the Alabama game. It's that second rotation of DBs if they're able to kind of hold their own. Uh, throughout the game yeah but even the thing with that if you go back you almost want your freshman dbs to be getting beat because they're learning from that and they're going to get better i mean you go back if you watch 2019 roger mccreary he had some i mean he had some really good moments you know he picked off joe burrow in that in that game it was a really big i mean he, he was a really good player for us but he had moments when he got beat and you were like all right, you know, he's 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 young, he's going to get beat, obviously ends up being locked down corner by 2021, is just balling out in the NFL right now. Saw the same thing with Nehemiah Pritchett even. Nehemiah Pritchett early in his career got picked on like crazy, and he's tightened up, and now he's one of the, you know, he's a veteran corner, he's a sure, a sure guy. And so that's something that you want, you know, seeing Colton Hood come in, late in the game, gets a touchdown scored on him. You know, that's not you, – you don't watch that and you're like, oh, yeah, let's go. Like, let's go Arkansas. But you're like, all right, he's learning from this experience. He has film and he has mistakes on film that he can learn from. And if you always come in when it's just a loss, when the game's over, and, you know, you don't really ever get real reps and the, the other team isn't doing anything, I was glad that Arkansas was still throwing the ball. Like our, our defensive guys, at least, were getting quality reps. I mean, I feel like the offensive guys – I mean, Arkansas's defense kind of gave in and gave up. I mean, every run was picking up six or seven yards, it felt like. But the defense definitely was getting some really quality reps out there. So that was that was encouraging, I thought. But moving forward, you know, the, the, the Arkansas game was huge. You go into this New Mexico State game, you're a 24-point favorite, 3 o'clock, right before Thanksgiving break. Whether as a fan, obviously the team is not – the team cannot just be, you know, saying, oh, we're going to win this one. We're moving on. It's fine. But as a fan, how do you look at this game? And how do you how do you really see this as a, you know, do you see this purely as a hurdle? Do you think that you'll see Auburn get better through this game? Do you think this is just kind of, you know, a, a game in the middle, a way to rest up before the Iron Bowl? How do you view this New Mexico State matchup with, with Auburn being a three-and-a-half touchdown favorite? I think you viewed this as – Program-wise, are they able to achieve what Alabama and Georgia have in their consistency? Like, Alabama does not have games where they go out against the duffer opponent and almost lose the game. And I think that's what you're looking for here. New Mexico State is not a great team by any means, but they, I mean, they've won seven games this year. This is a very similar team talent-wise to the Western Kentucky team that came in here last year in the same time slot, you know, game before Alabama and gave Auburn a real run for its money. I mean, it was ugly weather. It was raining. I understand all of that. But, I mean, Auburn was in serious trouble in that game. Like, that game was not over until halfway through the fourth quarter. Um, 
And I think you you look for the maturity there of, you know, talent-wise, you're much better than New Mexico State. You know that scheme-wise, you could scheme them up well. But is are the players going to be excited enough to come back and play the game after they just destroyed Arkansas on the road where they're able to be locked in and focused? Because I don't even think you have to be all the way locked in and all the way focused for this game to win this game big. But you have to be enough locked in and not looking forward to Alabama that you still take them as they have Division One college football players on scholarship. You actually have to try. Yeah, and this team is going to – I mean, they're going to a conference championship. They're playing Liberty in the Conference USA title, you know. And I think that that, that is encouraging. You know, you're, you're playing a team – this is not just a – this is not just a useless opponent. This is not just a straight money game. I mean, this team is a, a decent football program. But with that being said, there's no excuse to lose to them. I think one of the things that makes me the most excited about this game, New Mexico State's quarterback, Diego Pavia, he is a very – I mean, he's a dual-threat guy. He has over 700 rushing yards on the year. That that gets you ready for Milrow a little bit. You know, your, your defense is in the mindset – you're not going, yeah, it's not It's not K.J. Jefferson. K.J. Jefferson's a weird guy to prep for because he's so big. He's not really that fast, but you have to you have to account for his running in a different way than you do for Jalen Milrow. And so that's something that I think is good for this Auburn team, that you're going to have two weeks where you're preparing for a dual-threat quarterback and it stays in the back of those linebackers' mind is like when you're rushing the passer, you have to be conscious of, you can't just run after the guy. You can't just pin your ears back and run and hope you get him because if he makes one step, he can't. you can't just have 30 yards behind you where no one's covering. So I think that that's something that's encouraging is that the defense is going to have a little bit of time to focus on this. I think I foresee a little bit of how some of these Gus Malzahn teams did. The week before the Iron Bowl, in years that we were good, it felt like we were just definitely coasting through these games. And with that, sometimes you might go into halftime only winning by two touchdowns, maybe 17 points. I mean, you win the game. You win the game convincingly. No one's on ESPN talking about how Auburn struggled. But the actual performance is not just a bludgeoning. And I think that that's okay because it means that, I think in my opinion, a lot of the time it means that you prepared for Alabama a little bit the week before. And if I – the way that Hugh Freeze coaches his team, I think that Auburn has been very familiar with what Alabama does this week in practice. So I think that my prediction, I think Auburn might start this game a little slow. I think they win it convincingly. I think they have no problem covering. But I could see Auburn not just going into halftime up 30 on these guys. No, I mean, like I said, they're a quality team. It's They're much better than Sanford and they weren't convincing against Sanford. Now, the team has gotten much better since the Sanford game. But at the same time, I mean, this team is not just a run over. They've won one game all year. Like, this team's used to winning football games. So it, it could be a real competition, especially in the first half. I think that depth-wise, they can't keep up. But the other thing to note, New Mexico State beat Hugh at Liberty last year by three touchdowns after he went in and beat Arkansas. So – I mean, they're not they're not a joke, but we should be able to win convincingly. Yeah, and you know, looking back on New Mexico State, just to give you a little bit of a synopsis on who they are as a team, they're eight and three. They did we we have we have covered New Mexico State football a little bit on this podcast when we were talking about UMass. UMass beat New Mexico State forty-one to thirty. 
And watching that game, I, I, I genuinely think I said, UMass is not the worst team in Division One football because New Mexico State exists. I mean, New Mexico State looked terrible against UMass. They lost 41-30. to 30, And if you remember anything from that Auburn-UMass game, those guys were just not – they were that they were not fit to be on the same field as Auburn. So New Mexico State did, you know, they 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 pieced together, they regrouped a little bit, they blew out Western Illinois in week two, they lost to Liberty uh in week three, and then they they started turning it on. How bad did they lose to Liberty? Uh 33 to 17. And Liberty is undefeated. You know, Liberty's having a good year. But I think that, you know, New Mexico State, they're piecing it together. They've won some games close. I mean, the the competition is against the the juggernauts of, you know, Middle Tennessee State, La Tech, UTEP, and Sam Houston. But they're winning games. And so this is a – it's a decent team. It's not as bad – it's not as bad as Western Kentucky was last season. That Western Kentucky team last season was much better than this New Mexico State squad. So, overall – you're saying this they're much game, better than this New Mexico State? Yeah, I would say so. I thought that Western Kentucky team last year wasn't bad. Genuinely. No, I mean they weren't bad, but so. Still. But I, I think New Mexico State that their defense leaves a little bit to be desired. I mean, good offenses typically put up some points on these guys, but overall, I think Auburn covers. I think Auburn will be fine, and it all sets up for that Saturday night under the lights in Jordan Hare with the tide coming to town. Auburn has the opportunity to keep them out of the playoffs and make the SEC championship game not a win and you're in moment for Alabama. And I think that that's really where Auburn is their best. You know, in in, in Iron Bowls that have stakes on them, Auburn typically p- plays pretty well. You see the last time it feels almost like that 2019. I feel like it feels a little bit more like 2019 than it does 2021. 2020, uh, 2021, Auburn was on a skid. They kept losing. It it just didn't feel like – you felt like you needed that Jordan-Hare magic to win the game. Whereas this team feels like – if this team plays like they did against Arkansas and Alabama plays like they did against, you know, te- even Texas, I can see Auburn winning this game. You know, Jalen Milrow hasn't really had that much of a raucous road experience quite yet. Auburn will be the toughest environment he's played in. He's had the luxury. A lot of these Alabama, a lot of Alabama's big games have been in Tuscaloosa. I think it'll be an interesting, it'll be an interesting matchup. I will say the, the thing that seems to surprise people, you know, everyone talks about Jalen Milrow being a dual threat guy and he's, he's just a, a special talent. And I'm not knocking Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow is a good player, but I will say, and he does get in the end zone a lot more, but Peyton Thorne on less carries has more rushing yards on the season than Jalen Milrow and has a long, a significantly larger average yard per carry. Peyton Thorne averages 4.6 yards per carry this season. Jalen Milrow averages 3.2. So Thorne only has three rushing touchdowns. Milrow has 12, but... When when Peyton Thorne runs the ball, statistically, he runs the ball better than Jalen Milrow does. So I want you to keep that in mind when you're, you know, going through the, uh, you know, Peyton Thorne for Heisman campaign. But just, you know, something to consider. I think that Jalen Milrow gets a lot of 
He gets a lot of credit. He got a lot of hate early in the year. The Alabama fan base is rallying around the guy. The national media is talking about how great he's been playing, how he's going to lead Alabama back to the promised land. And I'm just saying, I think Auburn, I think Auburn will play very well against Jalen Milrow. I think that it'll be similar to the, the the situation where we had against Georgia, where Carson Beck wasn't able to get comfortable. Jackson Dart wasn't able to get comfortable till later in the game. But I, I don't I don't foresee Jalen Milrow coming in and just lighting the world on fire in Jordan Air. I hope that you're right. I mean, I, I tend to agree with you, especially I think it'll be interesting to see how much Jalen plays this weekend after kind of getting that thigh bruise against Kentucky um, this past week to see if he plays at full strength because it's one of those things that it was kind of getting tighter on him throughout the game, you could tell, and he had the heating pad on it and he was riding the bike and stuff to see if after sitting on it for a week how that thigh bruise feels and if he's able to play as much this week and then falling up into the Iron Bowl. Yeah. I mean, overall, I'm, I think that Auburn, a lot of Auburn fans, at least I'm definitely feeling better on the trajectory of the season. And I feel just, you know, you, you just can't help but notice something big, something big's going to happen. You know, you have the, the, the recruiting momentum's on the way, the, the games are being won. It's shaping up. You have a huge recruiting weekend for the Iron Bowl. And I think that it, it, it reminds me a lot of kind of how just, the the momentum it, it's the tangible momentum of a team getting hot going in and you just wonder can you capitalize on the iron bowl and if you can capitalize on the iron bowl then you move into the momentum of signing day you move into the momentum spring all the transfers coming in through the portal then 2024 you're like all right hit the ground running let's let's do this you know so I think that the Iron Bowl especially has huge implications for what Auburn can do from a momentum perspective. And right now I think New Mexico State is standing in the way, and I think Auburn's going to keep the momentum going on Saturday. But overall, I, I'm feeling I'm feeling pretty good about Auburn football uh, at the moment, considering the expectations. Current bowl projections looking at uh, some people predicted a Gator Bowl, Music City Bowl, uh, Gasparilla Bowl. It's it's. It's better than Birmingham. You know, we're still trying to work back into that New Year's Day slot, but it's better going to Nashville or Jacksonville as opposed to going to Birmingham. Uh, and I think that most players would agree on that one. 100%. Yeah. But that'll wrap up this podcast. We'll be right back here again with a basketball oriented podcast. Um, but overall, just really feeling good about this weekend. Uh, as always, we thank you guys for listening, and don't forget to listen to the basketball podcast coming right after this. Thank you, and War Eagle. War Eagle.